Several years ago, I, I read a story about a church that was praying for God to shut down a bar in their community. The church prayed for months for God to shut the bar down, but the bar just kept going. Then one night, a bad storm hit the town, and the bar was struck by lightning. It caught fire, and it burned to the ground. The bar's owner uh, filed an insurance claim, but the insurance declared an act of God, so it didn't have to pay it off. The bar owner knew the church had been, pay- had been praying for, the, for God to close the church down, so he sued the church. And when he took the church to court, the court date came, he made the case that their prayers influenced God to strike his bar with the lightning that started the fire and burned the bar down. The lawyer for the church countered by saying that while the church had indeed prayed for God to close down the bar, there was no way they were responsible for what happened. According to the story, the judge took off his glasses. He, he sat there a second and he said, let me make sure I'm getting this straight. The bar owner believes in the power of prayer and the church doesn't. Now, I read it on the Internet, so I can't be 100% certain it's an accurate story that really happened. However, if there's one thing I've learned from social media and politics, never let, a good, never let the truth get in the way of a good story. But the story illustrates something that I think could be true in our lives. We pray... And we ask God to move. We ask God to do something in us and through us and for us as individuals, as a church. We, we pray. We ask God to save someone or to heal a sickness or to provide for a need. As we pray, we confess Jesus' ability to meet this need, to heal, to save, to deliver. And while our prayers may sound faith-filled, deep down, there are doubts we never acknowledge. Then, if our prayers aren't answered the way we prayed them, we're like, well, I didn't really think that would happen anyway. And I wonder, is it possible our doubts hinder what Jesus wants to do, could do, in us and through us and for us? Let's see. Open your Bible to Mark 9. Uh, We're going to start reading in verse 14, page 769 if you've got a pew Bible. And when you find that, I'm going to ask you to stand to honor the reading of God's Word. Mark 9 and 14. Now when they came back to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and some scribes arguing with them. Immediately, when the entire crowd saw Jesus, they were amazed and began running to greet Him. And He asked them, what are you disputing with them? And one person from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought you my son because he has a spirit that makes him unable to speak. And whenever it seizes him, it slams him to the ground, and he foams at the mouth, and he grinds his teeth and becomes stiff. And I told your disciples so that they would cast it out, but they could not do it. And Jesus answered them and said, O unbelieving generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to Jesus. And when he saw Jesus, the spirit immediately threw him into convulsions and falling to the ground. He began rolling around and foaming at the mouth. And he asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood, it has often thrown him both to the fire and into water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can. All things are possible for the one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father cried out and said, I do believe. 
Help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd was rapidly gathering, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you to come out of him and do not enter him again. And after crying out and throwing him into terrible convulsions, it came out. And the boy became so much like a corpse that most of them said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and raised him and he got up. When he came into the house, the disciples began asking him privately, why is it we could not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot come out by anything except prayer. The title of the message this morning is Faith to Meet Spiritual Needs. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you today. You're great and awesome. You're worthy of our praise and worthy of our devotion. We come, Lord, with a desire to meet with you. That's why we're here. Lord, we don't want to check a box. We're not just trying to say, hey, we went to church today because that's what we do. We have come to a place consecrated to you, dedicated to you, that we might meet with the Most High God. So, Father, we pray today that you would, you would take control of everything that happens from this point on. Father, open our hearts and our minds to receive from your word what we need. Help us, Lord, to see the spiritual needs around us. Show us what you want us as individuals and us as a church to do to meet them. Give us the courage to go out and to do what we can to help these people in the name of Jesus, the power of the Spirit, for your glory. Help us today to see the role faith plays in being able to meet the spiritual needs of those around us. Help us, Father, to, to trust that our God is great enough and big enough that He can do anything that needs to be done. Fill me with Your Spirit. Give me clarity of thought and clarity of speech. Help me not to be a hindrance in any way to what You want done. Glorify Yourself, we ask in Jesus' name and for His sake. Amen. You may be seated. So again, Jesus comes down from the Mount of Transfiguration with Peter, James, and John. Immediately, upon coming down, a crowd sees Him. And there is conflict. The conflict surrounds a dad who had a great spiritual need. We see in verse 17 and 20, 25, his son had an unclean spirit that caused him to have seizures. The, the, the unclean spirit kept the son from speaking, caused him to attempt to kill himself by throwing him into fire and into a body of water. These things combined to cause the son to suffer greatly. Verse 21 tells us that it has been happening since he was a child. Now, if you're a parent, you can feel the father's pain and agony in this case. There were no meds. There was no hope. There was no help for his son. And while the dad and the son both had deep physical needs, the spiritual need was what was greater because it was the spiritual need that was actually causing the physical need. This was often going to be the case as we move out and trying to meet the spiritual needs around us. We're going to find that people have physical needs, but there is a spiritual component to it that is the root cause of their problem. And we are surrounded by people who have all kinds of spiritual needs. Some of the people around us are enslaved to sin. And the more they sin, the deeper sin holds them in, the, the more entrenched in their slavery they are. Others are deceived by the devil. They believe all manner of things that are not in the Bible. They have embraced something, maybe the Bible plus something else, and it is deceiving them and it is keeping them from Christ. And then there are others who are crushed by the cares of life. Life can be hard for all manner of reasons. Sometimes life is hard because we live in a fallen, sin-cursed world and bad things happen. 
Sometimes life is hard because we make bad decisions that make our lives hard. Sometimes life is hard because other people make bad decisions and their bad decision influence us and cause our life to be hard. But either way, people around us have all manner of spiritual needs and they are often crushed and they are beat down and they are at the point of collapse. Like the man in our story, many of these same people believe Jesus can help. And since they don't know Jesus, they come to us, those of us who would call ourselves disciples of Jesus. And they expect that we can help them in his name, through the Holy Spirit's power for Father's glory. But more importantly than the fact they expect we can help, we see in verse 19 that Jesus expects that we could help. Jesus expects those of us who are devoted to him can do something and make a difference to help with the deep spiritual needs of those around us. The unfortunate truth is many times we are unable to help meet the spiritual needs of those around us. And while there are likely many reasons for this, there is one given in this passage. And it is a lack of faith. Look at verse 19. And he answered and said to them, he's talking to the disciples, O unbelieving generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. Their unbelief kept them from being able to do what needed to be done. Their unbelief kept them from being able to do what Jesus wanted them to do. Their unbelief kept them from being able to do what Jesus expected that they could do because they were his disciples. Their unbelief kept them from meeting the spiritual need of the people around them. Unbelief can also keep us from meeting the spiritual needs of those around us. Think about it this way. It doesn't take faith to meet a purely physical need. You can give someone food when they're hungry, money when they're without, a coat when it's cold, or a place to stay when they're homeless, without any faith whatsoever. This is why non-faith-based compassion organizations exist. It doesn't take faith to see a physical need and then do what we can to meet the physical need. It merely takes compassion. Spiritual needs are different than physical needs. It does require faith to meet a spiritual need. There is no physical way to help someone who is enslaved to sin. To help them find freedom through Christ. There is no purely physical way to help someone who is deceived by the devil to understand the truth that's found in Christ. There is no physical way to help someone crushed by the cares of life lay their burdens down and find rest from their souls from Christ. There is no physical way to meet spiritual needs. Spiritual needs require spiritual help and spiritual help requires faith. Verse 19, Jesus rebukes them for their unbelief. Now, Matthew's account of this gives us a, a, a more complete picture of how Jesus rebuked them and what he said to them. So then Jesus or then the disciples came to him privately and said, why could we not cast it out? He said, because of your meager faith, for truly I say to you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Now, I love how Jesus explains their need for faith. 
This, is, this passage is where the concept of a mountain-moving faith comes from. But when we think about a mountain-moving faith, what comes to our mind? For most of us, what we think about is a, a big faith, a huge faith, an enormous faith, an exceptional, an extraordinary faith. But look again at what Jesus is saying. That's not the point he's making. He's not making the point that we need this huge, extraordinary, exceptional kind of faith. That's not what he says. He said all we need is faith the size of a mustard seed. Now, the mustard seed was among the smallest of seeds in Palestine. It was so small, it became proverbial for its smallness. The smallness of of the mustard seed is contrasted with the bigness of the mountain. The meaning is clear. A little faith can accomplish big things. The point isn't the amount or the size of a faith a person has that brings the result. That's not the point he's making. The point isn't the enthusiasm the person brings to their faith is what makes the difference. That's not the point he's making. The point is the object of faith is what brings the results. Human faith is not the key to this. God is. Faith only accomplishes things when that faith is in God through Jesus. Therefore, a little faith, say the size of a mustard seed, can accomplish great things like moving a mountain. Not because we have great faith, but because we serve a great God. So the key point for us today is a little faith in a great God enables us to meet tremendous spiritual needs. Now, this should be hopeful for all of us. Because we don't have to have a great faith because we do serve a great God. We don't have to have a big faith because we do serve a big God. Faith, the power of faith, is always bound up in the greatness of God and not in the size or the amount or the greatness of the faith. Faith is powerful because God is powerful. Faith can accomplish great things because God can accomplish great things. The only thing that makes faith valuable is the object the faith is in. And a faith that is in God can do great things because God can do great things. While a little faith in a great God enables us to meet tremendous spiritual needs, unbelief can short circuit what God wants to do in us and through us and for us in meeting spiritual needs. That's what happened with the disciples. Now, I thought about this and I thought, what kind of unbelief, what kind of doubts did they wrestle with? It's not likely they doubted the existence of God. That doesn't seem to be the unbelief they had. I don't think it's an unbelief in the power of Jesus. I don't think they they doubted that Jesus was the Messiah. And since it's not about the belief in God, it's not about Jesus being the Messiah, it seems to be that their faith, their doubts must have been on a more practical level. So what I want to do this morning is just show us two areas where we must have faith 
so that Jesus could work through us to meet the spiritual needs of the community around us. First, we must believe Jesus can do what God's word says he can do. Let's remind ourselves of the spiritual problem this dad had. The son was demon-possessed. The demon caused him to have seizures and often tried to kill him. This had been going on from childhood. So it implies it's not a new problem, but it's been going on for a while. And we can't be sure how old the man's son was, but it seems safe to conclude this had probably been going on for several years. I think it would also be safe to conclude the father had probably also tried to find help for his son somewhere else. But whatever help he had sought, it had been unsuccessful. So here's what I wonder. I wonder if the disciples saw this need and they saw how how deep-rooted it was, how long it had gone on, how much suffering there was. This guy, I think, would likely have been a Jew. So probably he had even prayed for God to remove this and it hadn't happened. And, And I wonder... If when the disciples saw how great this spiritual need was, how long it had been going on, they concluded this man's condition was hopeless. That there was just not anything that could be done to help him. And I wonder this because on a practical level, don't you find it easy to look at at certain people, certain kinds of people, See their lives, their lifelong decisions, maybe their family history, their attitude, any number of other issues. And then while we would never say it out loud, to quietly conclude in our hearts, I just don't think anything will ever change for them. It is, I find, Disturbingly easy to give up on someone simply because we determine they're too far gone for any help at all. If we are going to to help people by meeting their spiritual needs, we must reject this mindset. But we don't reject the mindset in favor of believing they can do it. That's not where we're going with this. We don't reject this mindset and say they can change, they can do it, other people have. That's not what we do. We reject this mindset in favor of believing in Jesus. Believing that Jesus can do anything. Particularly, not just anything that we come up with, but Jesus can do what God's Word explicitly tells us He came to do. Hold your fingers here, because we are coming back, but turn to Isaiah 61. We looked at this on Christmas. So I'm sure you remember everything about this passage. But Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 3. That's page 565, if you have a pew Bible. It says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Because the Lord anointed me to bring good news to the humble. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. Proclaim release to the captives. Freedom to the prisoners. To proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And the day of vengeance of our God. To comfort all who mourn. 
To grant those who mourn in Zion, giving them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the cloak, the cloak of praise instead of a disheartened spirit. So they will be called the oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Now, this passage may not immediately stand out to be about Jesus, about the Messiah. But in Luke 4, for 16 through 21, Jesus goes to the synagogue, he opens Isaiah up to this passage, and he reads it, and he says that that passage was fulfilled in their midst in that day. And what this passage does is it, it tells us about the mission of the Messiah. So what is the mission of the Messiah? What would he come to do according to Isaiah and what Jesus said? Well, first he would bring good news. Good news to the humble or to the afflicted or to the poor Different translations render it different ways. But it was good news. On the night of his birth, it was declared to be good news of great joy for all people. Jesus came to bring good news. The good news of the forgiveness of sins. The good news of the removal of condemnation. The good news of reconciliation with God. The good news of being born again. The good news of having the hope of heaven for eternity. The good news of being adopted as the children of God. The good news of being indwelt by the Holy Spirit. The good news of being empowered by the Holy Spirit. The good news of being filled with the Holy Spirit. The good news of being brought from spiritual death to spiritual life. The good news of being transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of God. The good news of receiving a new heart and a new spirit and a new relationship with God and and much, much more. This was the good news Jesus came to bring. But that's not all he came to do. He also came to to bind up the broken heart. It's a beautiful picture of Jesus binding up broken hearts. Life is hard. People all around us are, are hurting. Their hearts are broken because of their sin. Their hearts are broken because of the sin of other people. Their hearts are broken because they're crushed with grief. Their hearts are broken because they've been abandoned by loved ones. Their hearts are broken because they've been betrayed by those who should be closest to them. Their hearts are broken because they're miserable in life. Their hearts are broken because they're lonely. Their hearts are broken... Because they despair at the seemingly the seeming pointlessness of life. Their hearts are broken because they're bitter. Because life is harder than they imagine. It hasn't turned out the way they thought it should. Their hearts are broken by addiction. Or the addiction of another. Their hearts are broken by the death of a loved one. Their hearts are broken because they were victimized by someone in their life. The number of reasons people's hearts are broken are as varied as the people themselves. But whatever the reason, Jesus came to bind up the broken hearts. Now, the picture of Jesus binding up the broken hearts is so, so wonderful. It pictures a heart lying shattered on the ground. And Jesus coming up tenderly, picking up the pieces and putting them back together in his own hands. And Jesus binds up the broken hearts as people cast their cares upon him. And then... What happens when Jesus binds up broken hearts as they cast their cares upon him? Well, look at the rest of verse 2. The, the, the last of verse 2. To comfort all who mourn. 
as they cast their cares upon him, as he binds up their broken hearts, Jesus comforts those who are mourning. And as he comforts them, what happens is that they are given garland instead of ashes, or some translations say beauty instead of ashes. They're given the oil of gladness instead of the oil of mourning. They're given a cloak of praise instead of a spirit of heaviness. They are remade and be called the oaks of righteousness. They have been planted by the Lord for the glory of the Lord. This is what Jesus came to do. Jesus also comes and he proclaims release to the captives and freedom to the prisoners. But it's it's not just a proclamation. It is a, a demonstration. Jesus came and he set the captives free. He set the prisoners free from anything and everything that enslaves people. Well, what kind of things enslave people? Sin. Jesus said, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. Now, the slave does not remain in the house forever, but the son does remain forever. So if the son sets you free, you'll really be free. Sin promises freedom, but delivers slavery. Jesus promises and delivers freedom, guilt for sin. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Many of us have lived lives of sin. We know what it is to be enslaved of sin. We, we wrestle with guilt over the time that we lived in sin. And what Jesus offers is freedom from that. Jesus offers freedom from spiritual defeat. Whoever's been born of God overcomes the world. Now this promise of victory doesn't mean there's not spiritual battles to fight, but it does mean we fight from a place of victory, not a place of defeat. Jesus offers freedom from past failures because He causes all things to work together for our good and for His glory. Jesus is a Redeemer. He redeems the good things of life. He redeems the bad things of life. He redeems the times we've made horrible mistakes. He redeems all things for our good, for His glory. Jesus can free us from fear. Because God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and of discipline. And so many more. Jesus sets the captives free. But that's not all. Jesus proclaims the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance for our God. And what Jesus brings for us in this is the favor of the Lord and the escape from the judgment to come. For there, there is a day of vengeance. There is a day of judgment. And all will face the Lord on that day. But Jesus can bring God's favor upon us. And Jesus can help us escape from the judgment to come. He can do this for all people, regardless of what they've done, regardless of the life they've lived, the mistakes they've made. Jesus brings God's favor and Jesus frees from the wrath to come. Those, go ahead and turn back to Mark 9. As disciples of Jesus, we are meant to help Meet the spiritual needs of those around us. But if we don't believe Jesus can do what God's word says he does, we are of no help to anyone. We must believe. Now, our faith doesn't have to be a big faith simply because Jesus is big. It doesn't have to be a perfect faith because Jesus is perfect. 
The value of the faith is the object of that faith. Jesus. And if we can muster even the smallest amount of faith that Jesus can do exactly what God's word says he can. then oh, my goodness. We are situated for him to partner with us to meet tremendous spiritual needs all around us. A little faith in a great God enables us to meet tremendous spiritual needs. But we not only must believe Jesus can do what God's word says he does. We must believe Jesus can work through us to meet the spiritual needs. I think it's also possible the disciples saw the hugeness of this problem and concluded it was out of their league. I mean, I can see that. Can you see that you might do that in your life? I mean, they were ordinary guys. They were fishermen and tax collectors and zealots and all manner of things prior to yoking up with Jesus. Perhaps they truly believed Jesus could do it, but, but just not that they could be a part of it. Their doubts maybe weren't in the, the power of Jesus, but upon their ability to be the instrument Jesus used to meet the spiritual need. I don't know about you, but it's very easy for me to believe this about myself as well. I could give you all manner of reasons as to why I'm too flawed. I know myself. I can give you all manner of reasons about why I'm too ordinary. Why that's just not how I can't do it. Why Jesus wouldn't work through me to do this. Perhaps you are in the same boat. You look at yourself in the mirror and what you see are all of your flaws and all of your shortcomings and all of your inability. And you think Jesus can do this through someone else. But there's just no way he could do it with that dude I'm looking at in the mirror. Whatever reason we might give. The reality is we must reject this mindset. Through Jesus's power. We can be enabled to make a difference in the people around us. We just need to believe. Look again at what Jesus said in Matthew 17. Nothing will be impossible for you. If we just have a mustard seed faith, nothing will be impossible for you. Look at at verse 23 in our text. All things are possible for the one who believes. So let me ask you. Do you really believe nothing will be impossible for you because of Jesus in you? Do you really believe all things are possible through you because of Jesus in you? Chances are, again, I think we would all say it's possible for them. But do you believe it can be true for you as well? It should. When it comes to trying to following Jesus and trying to meet the spiritual needs, especially the bigger spiritual needs. For many of us, because of our feeling of inadequacy, our first response is to say, I can't. But we must resist the urge to say, I can't. Because here's a fact. When you or I, when we say, I can't, 
what we're really saying is Jesus can't. You're not saying your limitations are too great. You're saying Jesus is limited by your limitations. You're saying that our, we're saying our failures, our limitations are greater than Jesus' ability to work through anyone. We're saying Jesus cannot enable us to accomplish His will in the world around us. Now, I think this feeling of inadequacy, I think in many ways it can be a positive. And here's what I mean. Jesus, He works through our weakness to bring glory to Himself. That's what He told the Apostle Paul. And so when we feel inadequate, And we go to do what we can and something happens. We're not going to be tempted to take credit. We're not going to say, Woo, look at me, I'm awesome. Because we know we're not. We know Jesus is awesome. What we have to do is to stop looking at all of our limitations. What we see is our limitations. And we have to look at ourselves through the eyes of Jesus. Jesus doesn't see us in light of our limitations and our flaws and our failures. Jesus sees our potential. But let me be clear here. He doesn't see our self-actualized potential. That's not what he sees. He doesn't see what we could do if we just, you know, had the right mindset. What he sees, the potential he sees is based upon not what we can do, but what he can do as he works in us. And through us and for us. He sees how he can use our weakness to glorify the father. He sees how he could use our inadequacy to display his adequacy. He sees how he could demonstrate use our weakness to demonstrate his power. I I really have come to the opinion that if we feel capable of doing what we think Jesus is leading us to do then we're probably following our own desires and not Jesus. Think about it this way. Why would Jesus ever lead us to do what we didn't need him to accomplish? It just doesn't even sound like what we see in God's word at all. Jesus will always lead us beyond ourselves. He will always lead us to the edge and beyond of our capability so that we can see his greatness, his adequacy, his mercy, his greatness. Don't limit what Jesus can do in you and through you and for you with faith-destroying statements like, I can't. Trust Jesus and see what He can do. We must believe that Jesus can make a difference and that He can work in us and through us and for us to make this difference. Think back to Isaiah 61. Do you genuinely believe Jesus can work in you and through you and for you to bring good news of great joy to all people. Do you genuinely believe Jesus can work in you and through you and for you to bind up broken hearts? Do you genuinely believe Jesus can work in you and through you and for you to comfort all who mourn? So they're given beauty for ashes, oil of gladness for mourning, and a garment of praise for a spirit of heaviness, and can be made into an oak of righteousness, planted by the Lord for the glory of the Lord. Do you genuinely believe 
Jesus can work in you and through you and for you to release captives and set prisoners free? Do you genuinely believe Jesus can work in you and through you and for you to bring the favor of the Lord on people and help them escape the judgment to come? You should, because he can and he will. Jesus can do all of those things, but he does it through us. Our faith is ultimately not in us, not in ourselves and our ability, but in Jesus and his ability. Mark's account of the story gives us a detail Matthew doesn't include. And it's a this is this right here. This is the most helpful thing we're going to find today in this. Look at this. Jesus says in verse 23, or the man says in verse 22, if you can do anything, take pity and help us. Jesus says, if you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father cried out and said, I do believe. Help my unbelief. Man, I love that. Verse 24 is beautiful. The dad has an honest faith. He truly believes Jesus can make a difference, but there are concerns. I mean, his son has been this way for many years. No one else has ever been able to help. Jesus, he knows, is different. And and he does believe Jesus is his one shot at seeing his son set free. But it's gone on for a really long time. And there are doubts. I think for most of us, we would say Jesus absolutely can do everything God's word says he can do. And if pressed, we would probably say, and and, and yes, he could work in and through and for us as individuals to do everything God's word says he could do. But at the same time, there are doubts. And I want you to know it's okay. It's okay to say to Jesus, I believe, but help my unbelief. Because look at what he does. This father has this honest faith. Jesus rebukes the spirit, casts it out, raises the boy up and sends him out. Jesus responded to an honest faith. And did what needed to be done to meet the spiritual need. Jesus is the same yesterday, today and forever. The Jesus who responded to an honest faith then. Will respond to our honest faith today. A little faith. And a great God enables us to meet tremendous spiritual needs. Let's all stand. God has spoken this morning through the word. Jesus has spoken through the word. And there is something all of us need to do in response. Because God's word always demands a response. So I want to offer a time of response for three groups of people. First, for those who have a spiritual need. If you recognize one of the needs we've talked about today in your own life. 
And I want you to know there's help. We see this in this passage. There is help. And the help is in the person of Jesus. Jesus can deliver you from slavery to sin. Jesus can free you from demonic deception. Jesus can help you with the crushing cares of life. He can give you rest for your souls. He is the truth you need. And He will set you free and you will be free indeed. And at this moment, Jesus is calling you to come to Him. And so do that. That's a mustard seed kind of faith. Jesus, I need help and I believe you can help me. Second, I want to offer a time of response to those who have doubts. Come to Jesus this morning and confess your doubts to Jesus. Tell him you believe and then ask him to help you with your unbelief. What he did then, he'll do now. He will not rebuke us. He will not be angry. He understands we are but dust. And the third group are those who are ready to move out and experience Jesus meeting needs through them. Come this morning and surrender to Jesus to be His instruments to help a hurting and a dying world in His name. Ask Him to help you. To ask Him to give you opportunities to minister to others in His name through the power of Holy Spirit for the glory of the Father. And those opportunities will arise. So we all need to respond. How are you going to respond? The altars are open.